All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Pat Sabell, and we're going to be talking gospel-shaped uh, liturgy uh, for a little bit. And um, with me, I got two lead pastors of churches, um, Jeff Eastwood from uh, PEI and Stephen Bray in Newfoundland, St. John's, Newfoundland. And um, we're just going to, I thought it'd be interesting just to introduce what is liturgy, uh, if you're wondering. Um, and I, I'd like to say that everyone has one, whether we think we do or we don't. Um, but when I say the word liturgy, I don't know what comes to your mind. Often we think of uh, it's something like what the Catholics do or uh, Anglicans do. Uh, Andrew Wilson says to us, the very word liturgy smells of death. It evokes arcane language, disengaged chanting, and dust clouds billowing out of the organ loft. Um, but the, the, the word liturgy just comes from two Greek words, meaning the work of the people, or just described as the public work. Um, <clears throat> Brian Chapel in his book, Christ-Centered Worship, talks about liturgy is, it's simply described the public way a church honors God in times of gathered praise, prayer, instruction, and commitment. And so um, that's, that's kind of what, what we're going to talk about, gospel liturgy, how the gospel, how we proclaim the gospel from the beginning of our gatherings to the end of our gatherings. And what I really appreciate about uh, Jeff and Stephen is that um, these guys are lead pastors, and they love the gospel, and they love their churches, and they want not only in the preaching uh, to, for the gospel to be uh, seen and evident and to be proclaimed, but they want the gospel to function in the entirety of the gathering. And so <clears throat> I was thinking this morning, I'm going to be doing a Zoom call uh, this week on Thursday with another brother that has, I think there's going to be 25 lead pastors on this Zoom call. And I just thought, what a privilege to talk to lead pastors about this. Because often lead pastors are thinking this way. I'm going to hire this gifted guy because he plays a mean guitar and he's got a nice voice and he's able to rally people and he, he just does a great job overall. And I'm going to let him do his thing and then I'll do my thing. Um, <clears throat> what I appreciate about, about these brothers is they care about the gathering in its entirety. And, um, and so, you know, long before the hire, we're thinking, how do we make sure the gospel is functioning in its entirety? And so I've had the privilege of being in Jeff's church. I've had the privilege of working a little bit with his worship leaders. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and Jeff has been in a few seminars that I've taught. And uh, so Jeff is, is adapted a lot of the uh, 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 what am I looking for? He's taken some of the things that I've taught on and has applied them to his church. And, and Stephen as well uh, was with Stephen uh, quite a few years ago in Newfoundland, came, went out there to do a, um, a retreat with his church. And, uh, and so he's been uh, doing the same. And so I thought it'd be great to hear from some. So Jeff, maybe you could uh, introduce yourself a bit and tell us how, 
how this has personally affected your church, uh, how you've moved towards more of a gospel-shaped liturgy, and, and maybe what that looks like. Yeah, thanks so much, Pat, and uh, really good to see you guys again. Um, uh, I just, maybe going back, uh, sorry, I'm Jeff Eastwood from Grace Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, as Pat said, and um, first met Pat at a Gospel Coalition Canada, uh, Atlantic Canada conference. Uh, Pat came in and led the music uh, with our our gang at Grace. Um, And also there's a unique kind of connection here because uh, Steve and I used to pastor together uh, in Charlottetown. Steve then left uh, Grace Baptist for Calvary Baptist in St. John's, Newfoundland, and um, I became the lead pastor then uh, in his absence. So we've had time serving together and then now apart. but I would say going back to the churches I grew up in and certainly the previous church that I served in in Ontario, I think the liturgy, uh, such as it was, and Pat, you make an excellent point, we have one, whether we think we do or not, um, was largely framed by a Finney-esque uh, sort of um, post-Great Awakening or at least Second Great Awakening sort of revival style where there was a, a, a sharp dichotomy between the preaching and the, and the music it seemed to me like the music was only there because that's what we normally do. Right. And it seemed that the music, the only sort of forethought of the music was how do we get the crowd ready to hear the word? And then how do we guilt the crowd into responding uh, with an altar call to the word? Hmm. Uh, and so uh, usually the pastor would pick, you know, four or five hymns or somebody else would. There was no practices. There was no forethought. Really, the, the main, uh, you know, energy was, was on the sermon. When I came to Grace then, I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was a, a forethought of the entire service, not just not just the preaching. Um, and so there was a, a you know a defined liturgy. There was a practice you know every week for the music team. There was a lot of time and energy put into the whole reality. But as Steve and I worked together over that course of that time, there was a lot of different things that we put in, some things we took out. There was a lot of forethought there, but we were kind of working along. And really, when Pat came on the scene. It wasn't just the music itself, uh, but it was to lay out a grid work for how that liturgy, uh, the foundation of that liturgy, what, what, are we, what are we looking to accomplish? And, and seeing from, you know, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and that kind of stuff that we're teaching each other in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and, the, and that sort of core idea of the gospel being displayed throughout the entirety of the service. Mm-hmm. And so to start with, you know, that call to worship and looking up to God and bringing our people away from themselves and, and, uh, and into the presence of God. And then to have confession, we, we, we oftentimes want all of our songs to be very upbeat and peppy and happy because, Hey, Jesus is resurrected. So everything's great. Right. (laughs) And we've lost lament. We've lost the biblical reality of confession. And so we have that now as a, as a, as a key part of our weekly gathering that, we're not only going to pray a prayer of confession, but we're going to lead our, our people in a song of confession. Mm. That can only be done rightly and, and fully because of the assurance of pardon, which is sort of the next element of it, that we can confess because of the assurance that we have the pardon of Christ and, and the beautiful reality of that. Um, and then to end also then with a specific uh, benediction to actually give our people a, a commission as, as they leave. And so, um, Pat, uh, we talked back in the, in the spring and actually Pat was, um, doing this (laughs) with our music team leaders by zoom, walking through these principles, coaching them, uh, checking in with our different music team leaders, uh, each week, 
talking with them through their, their liturgy and as they planned it, talking with them after things that went well, maybe some things to work on. And so we've been uh, hugely impacted by and very appreciative of Pat's coaching and mentoring ministry. That had to be put on hold because of COVID, but we're looking forward to the time we're going to be able to re reinvigorate that and then have it come out for a weekend in person and, um, and be able to interact with all of our musicians. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a rundown of, of how it has imp impacted grace and continues to impact grace as, as we try to lead our people through the gospel with the entirety of what we do, not just the preaching, if I can put it that way. So. That's excellent. <clears throat> yeah, thanks. Stephen, uh, do you want to tell the people uh, just some of your experience since we've been hanging out and, and kind of what, what, uh, what your church looks like on a, on a regular uh, Sunday morning? Yeah, well, this is a little bit like old home week uh, with Jeff <laughs> and myself. And then, of course, with you, Pat, because uh, our journeys are very similar. Jeff and I, are, we're not just two pastors, we're friends, we've worked together in ministry, and we kind of went on this journey together, and then God kind of pulled us where, not in a Paul and Barnabas way, but it, uh, that we divided in that sense, but just God called us in different places, but I think we've been on similar journeys. So I, I was raised in a similar, you know, evangelical background as Jeff, um, and again, what he just said too about Finneyism, but it was almost weird. It, like the, our service had these dichotomies. They were, there was the music time and then there was the preaching time. And, and then even when I went to grace, as I went on a journey theologically, I, I'm a little bit different than Jeff in that I'm quite musical and I love music and I love to sing. And one of the outlets of ministry for me and my wife was music. Um, but I did get ca caught up a little bit in the, that, that world where I, I was developing a service with the sermon in mind, like, so, you know, you'd start with that big song because everybody came in, you wanted to get their attention. Then you kind of went down. It was all kind of feely and emotional. And then you kind of picked the song based on your sermon that either had to be up or bring everybody down. And it was almost inadvertently like you were planning a television show. Like, like the, the music was almost like a soundtrack to what you wanted to do with your sermon. And you were picking even your end song with that and then I started reading I actually got exposed to a book that I know uh, Pat you really like um, by Harold Best when I went to a Moody Pastors Conference about worship and it was the first time that I ever really kind of had my my world rocked about the idea of the totality of worship that worship is not just the music worship's not just the sermon that literally worship is something we do all the time and to get away from these things the other thing is you already mentioned it. I grew up in a world where there was this pastor and then you had the music pastor or the worship pastor. And often in my experience, that worship pastor often hadn't been to Bible college. He, you know, sometimes he didn't know there were 66 books in the Bible, but man, he could really rock a guitar, had a killer voice, often, you know, wound up the younger generation. And, and I, little things started standing out to me because I got exposed, Pat, to you and your music through C2C and some other things. And then I got exposed to Sovereign Grace music and the Gettys and stuff. And all of a sudden I started to realize there is a lot more to this than just a killer song and really evaluating the theology of a song and all that kind of stuff. And it started to bother me because I started, you know, Jeff and I were together and we lived in, in kind of maritime Canada, but then Atlantic Canada. And we were hearing horror stories of church splits 
and struggles between senior pastors and music pastors and worship wars and music wars. And something just didn't seem right to me. <laughs> then I got to go to Vancouver and Pat, you were there and you led music at a conference. And I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'll be honest, like Andrew Wilson, because of maybe I was raised in this independent Baptist world, which was somewhat a, a, a reactionary against Anglicanism and other different things. And the word liturgy was almost like a curse word. Like we thought that was bad. Um, and, you know, so we, what it, it, what's interesting is we swapped liturgy for order of service. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and uh, we still followed it, and and I mean, and in what I'm my world, you followed it religiously. I mean, you knew when what was going to come next. You knew when to stand and sit and everything else, and it was followed. But we didn't call it liturgy because that was bad. Right. Um, but then I got exposed to you at this conference, and you did these things where you took us through responsive reading and this call to confession and call to assurance, and there was there was a rhyme and a reason to stuff, and it was it just all of a sudden, my, my heart, I felt the spirit in, in, in me resonating with this. And I remember bringing this back to Jeff going, Jeff, I, I saw and experienced something, dude, that is like, there was a hole in my, my heart that I didn't know how to fill. And I said, listen, I want to try this. And I want to try that. And I want us to do this. And I was a little bit, you know, falling over myself. And this is where that relationship and this is why I'm a big believer in a guy like yourself, who God is gifted, who's got a theological heart and mind, who's got a musical talent, but yet believes in the totality of the worship time of the church, the corporate worship time of the church. Um, and so, yeah, we had you come out here to Newfoundland because I wanted to expose my people to this. And again, I'm, I'm not an original thinker. Jeff's far more original thinking than I am. I'm a great monkey see monkey do kind of guy. Um, and I see something, I go, that's, that's what it is. So I'm, I'm pretty passionate now about a couple of things. I mean, little things too, Pat, that you've affected me on. I grew up in a world where it was choirs and ensembles and quartets and duets and special music and all of these types of things. But just thinking about corporate gathering, getting the congregation involved in the singing, not putting on the best concert, little things as mundane as making sure it's a key that everybody can sing, how much harmony is in there, because harmony is great, but then Harmony can also leave a whole lot of people in the dust. <clears throat> and so you really challenged me about just singing melody, not having a big army in front of everybody singing all the time. Um, and so all of these things started to profoundly affect me in the way we structured stuff. So now, even with us, with Mile One Mission and a Calvary Baptist, as we develop interns, I look for musicians, but those musicians must have a theological grounding and a grid um, it's not all about the music. It's about the glory of Christ. The beauty of it is, and Pat, you'll talk to this, I know, and this is why I encourage anybody to talk to you, is when we say all that, by no means do you take shortcuts on the quality of the music or striving for good musicians or, you know, all of this kind of stuff. It's just that it's a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is the glory of Christ. Right. Um, and I do believe that our church is better for it. I'll give you one little testimony of this because this sounds weird to not the name drop, but um, Tim Challies and his wife were down here in Newfoundland doing a bit of vacation stuff and doing some ministry. They attended our church and I've known Tim for quite a while. He's been to Grace Baptist and all these types of stuff as well. But Tim wrote me a letter, a text after the service. And he said, 
Steve, I want you to know the music portion of your service was radically different from the early days that I knew you at Grace Baptist. It was much more liturgical. It was much more God-focused, gospel-focused. And, and I know Tim wasn't trying to insult me about what we did at Grace. He was just saying he could see a marked difference in the way we were approaching our service. And Jeff and I have both been on that journey. So, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I can't even envision going back. Um, and I still think there's lots of emotion in our service. It's, it's not like we're cosmic killjoys. I think it's just that the emotions are governed by the word of God, not our emotions dictate what the word of God has to do for us. So our emotions feel good. Right. Um, I'm an emotional guy. I don't, I don't think our services lack emotion. It's just that our emotions submit to the word of God. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I was thinking, you know, we, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't allow our lead pastors to be, you know, throwing a sermon together uh, every, for every Sunday, you know, you got an hour to, to put this sermon together. We give time and we soak in the scriptures and we, we want to be careful to rightly exegete the text and, and as well exegete our congregation. Um, but often we, we have worship leaders that are, you know, Saturday night, uh, throwing together a list of songs, picking their favorite songs off, whether it be top CCLI 25 songs or whatever, um, or, you know, going to a YouTube channel. And I just love, I love this experience. I love watching this and it does something good to me. And therefore, you know, I, I want to kind of translate that into, into our Sunday gathering. If we could have that same effect in our Sunday gathering, um, so <clears throat> intentionality, I think, is key, and that's, that's really what, what we're talking about when we talk about gospel-shaped liturgy, is that mm. we want to make sure that there's intentionality in the, the, the worship guy or gal, that, that they're thinking, um, thinking specifically about like that, the, the, the gathering in its entirety, and that, that the lead pastor or the preacher is connecting with the the worship leader and there's a, a a team that's formed to to make sure uh that that you know the first 25 minutes or however long it is of the gathering that we that we you know we lift our voices in corporate song uh it's got some intentionality in it just like the pastor had to have when he spent 15 or 20 hours that week preparing his sermon uh, so I think it's just so important, and that's that's a passion I have uh, is to help people think more clearly about like we sing songs, we read scriptures, we we recite you know pieces of creeds and confessions, and we do those things not just because it's it's a cool thing or it's a you know this is kind of a new trend in the church, but we do it because. Uh, every portion of what we do should be connected and rooted in the gospel because I know you guys, your church. is not any preach it to themselves every day. They need, uh, we need to be make sure we need to make sure that we're helping them preach the gospel mm. to themselves. Mm. Uh, some great books that, uh, that 
I think are very helpful. This is Brian Chappell's book called Christ Under Worship. That's probably backwards on your screen, is it? No, no it's good. Oh, oh perfect. <laughs> Christ Centered Worship. Um, you know, this book has uh, the first many chapters is uh, it's quite, it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's tough, tough sledding. You know, it's got uh, general structures, historical liturgies, and then Rome's liturgy and Luther's and Calvin's and Westminster liturgy. And, uh, but then when, when we get down into like chapter seven and on, he starts to unpack what, what a gospel liturgy looks like, adoration, confession, assurance, and all that. Just an excellent book. This book rocked me about 10 years ago. And then um, I was the typical, like these guys, uh, five songs, uh, too fast, one medium, too slow. Uh, you know, had to start fast because people needed a, a boost. You know, they're coming in and they need to, like, yeah. hey, let's wake, wake them up. And, and as a worship leader, I would yell at them and say, what's wrong with you people? Why do you look so dead? And, you know, <laughs> come on, lift your hands. Come on. Um, and... Uh, when I started understanding that the greatest gift I could give my people would to, to spread this banquet feast of the mm. glory and the beauty of Jesus mm. and they're coming in and they're, you know, I love the, the Lloyd Jones. He says, you know, with, with every, we should take <coughs> ten, 10 looks at Christ for every one look at ourselves. But yeah. the reality is we're taking 10 looks at ourselves and maybe one look at Christ. And so the beautiful thing is to have people come into our church and you sing songs and you point them to scriptures and you trust that the spirit will awaken their hearts to, mm. to these glorious truths. And they see Jesus and they go, are you kidding me? I've, I've just been blowing it all week. And then, you know, in, in the confession, it's not a thing that we wallow in self pity, but it's a, this beautiful thing that we springboard from that and say, guess what? Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you've walked away. Yes, mm -hmm. you are prone to wander. And that's what you do best. But you have a great savior. And so that's, that, that book just rocked me. Another book is, is this book by uh, Mike Cosper mm -hmm. called Rhythms of Grace. Yep. Uh, this is a much more simpler read. And he kind of unpacks uh, biblical theology, like takes you through the scriptures uh, and then brings you to a place of, of unpacking liturgy. Mike is a good friend, and this, this book has helped me a lot. Um, so that's a couple books that, that I think would serve people. Yeah. Um, guys, any other thoughts as you're listening? Yeah, I just I think sometimes I've seen sort of worship planning kind of on two poles. On the one pole, it's uh, very rigid, and... It, it almost becomes more about the structure than it does about what the structure is attending to accomplish. Right. That's right. And I think that is what churches that I grew up in had, had rejected that idea of that the, the main uh, focus was the structure that in the structure was, you know, redemption or glory. And, and, and it was sort of appealing back from that. Um, but then on the flip side, I also have individuals, and our church is very eclectic. It's a mix of all different kind of denominational backgrounds and whatnot here at Grace. And there seems to be this sort of sense that the Holy Spirit is restricted in his working unless it's live. Right. So he, the Holy Spirit can't work ahead of time. He can't work, you know, on the Thursday night practice or on the yeah. Monday planning the songs. He can only ever work in the moment. That's, that's all the Holy Spirit knows how to do. And I, and I just kind of like... So on the one hand, just sort of 
uh, telling our people, and especially winning over, so to speak, the musicians and the music team leaders to say, look, on the one hand, we need structure. We need a, a foundation and we need a skeleton. We need, we need to have a trellis, I guess, to borrow, uh, you know, uh, Marshall and Payne's, um, you know, uh, analogy. But we need to have something that this, that this attaches to, right. allowing for, yes, the Holy Spirit in the moment. Even as Lloyd-Jones talks about preachers and preaching, there is the, the study. Yeah. And the deliberate, but there's something that does happen, you know, back and forth. Well, it used to before we were, you know, preaching at TV cameras. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but then also to let people know, hey, pre-planning, the Holy Spirit, I believe in sovereignty God, the Holy Spirit's just as active when I'm studying for my sermon as he is when the sermon's being delivered. And, and, and also then he's just as active as we're putting a liturgy together, as we're right. planning things out, this song or this song. I think, and the Holy Spirit's even active in practice where you try a song and it doesn't work. And so you substitute a song out or you try a song in a certain key, like Steve said. And I, I mean, I have preached to our congregation or, and to our people involved in music. It's congregational. That's what we're doing. The only instruction I believe we get in the New Testament regarding music is that it's congregational participation. Yeah. Yep. Teach one another yeah. in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so yep. maybe... It, this new song that you want to introduce just doesn't have a key that's going to fit. And if people can't sing it, then they, they can't participate and they can't, you know, so yeah, the, to, to be aware of those two poles that oftentimes we gravitate towards the, making the structure, the ultimate thing, which I, yeah. I think we need to guard against. Yeah. Uh, but also then making no structure, right. the only way that the Holy spirit could possibly construct the surface, which, right. which I don't think is true either. Right. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, just some more thoughts think, on that. I think with that too, Jeff, I think the part of the journey, and Pat, you've been great with us. Is one, one thing I will say, if anybody that watches this, if you haven't watched that four and a half minute video by Alistair Begg, um, where he says, don't ask me how I feel. Tell me what I need to know. I, I, I can't recommend that's the best five minutes of your time for a saucy Scotsman to just lay it out hard. Because <laughs> he talks about, right, the countdown goes on, the worship leader guy comes out. Tell me how y'all feel today, right? And and I think that's so. Here, let me say this because, like, again, these extremes. I think some of our very well-meaning brothers and sisters who are say we would accuse or say they're more charismatic. Um, the extreme is that it's all about your emotions. But then I think some of them look at some of the world that we come from, which is all about you know theology and and you know um, good systematics and stuff. And so the you know. I grew up in a world where I've been told some good, pretty good jokes about Baptists that aren't, aren't true, aren't, are not, not true for using a double negative of where we're all about mm -hmm. stoicism and all this types of stuff. And my thing is our Bible is full of examples, even to the throne room of heaven of great expressions of emotion, but it is always, always submitted to truth. Yeah. So one of the big things for us has been, Taking songs, and Pat, you've wrecked me. I can't just mindlessly listen to Christian radio without listening to the lyrics of any song that might move me, because music moves you. Yeah. But to actually say to myself, but is this song actually theologically true? Yeah. And, and, and to say that when I want to feed my congregation the word of God in preaching, am I just as passionate to say to my music team, that meal starts with good morning, everybody, and every song we're going to sing. And you're right. So I, the reason why that Alistair Begg one appeals to me is because 
whether you're a church of 50, 100, 200, 500, 2,000, a motley crew of sinners that have experienced life and all of its highs and lows are going to arrive. Mm-hmm. And to start off with, let's all get on the same spiritual high together is so unrealistic. People are stumbling in there having failed miserably. People have had God do incredible things for them. People are wondering where God is and what they need is not how do you all feel, but here's the reality of who God is. Right, right. And so I feel, I'm thankful for the way you've taught me to walk our music team through um, just what, are, what is it from start to finish we're going to tell the congregation. Right. This is God. See yeah. God musically, yeah. in prayer, in our liturgy, in our sermon. The only other thing I'll say practically, and I know Jeff has done this, I just believe that we need this up the ante about our music people being spiritually grounded and theologically grounded. And I think pastors um, need to stop being so passive. Like I've hired experts for this. Um, I am very, very active with my music team, letting them know how God and his spirit is working on me on my sermon. So I'm sharing the journey I'm going on in the sermon prep and what I'm learning and what God's convicting me of and what I feel God wants me to pro- proclaim to my people. And and I'm actively encouraging my music team. I'm present with them. I'm praying with them. I'm, I'm doing that. And like you said, my, my wife's involved in the music. And so our songs are picked out well in advance. They're sent out in advance for our team to listen to, to give constructive criticism. Hey, guys, you know, this song, I've been talking to Pastor Steve, and this is what he's preaching about. And I'm not quite sure how this song fits the tenor of our beautiful song, great theology. I just, it, it just kind of seems like it was like zoink out here. I'm wondering if this song might be better. And then when we come together for practice, sometimes even when I'm not singing, I still make myself present to pray with the music team, let them know that we, I love them and how much they're a part of this and asking them, how are you doing? Cause I don't want our music team either to fake it. Right. Like I don't, I don't want a bunch of performers. I, I just did a devotion this morning and, um, you know, where, where Jesus and Mark condemns the Pharisees and he quotes Isaiah and he says, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Um, because I just think that if we turn the musical worship into a rev the engine, not, I mean, as a pastor, I know when I've been a hypocrite and I've preached with a smile on my face and I'm dying inside. And I also think we need to own that, that if we teach our music teams, listen, man, you got to set it up, tee it up for the pastor. But what happens if they're struggling? Right. What happens if they failed? Can they, do we give them the permission to actively live out the transparency of a walk with God, even as they talk to the congregation? Mm. Um, I, I, I know for me, I'm, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I've been around church since I was five. The one thing I can't do is, I can't bear anymore where I go to church and I just fake it. Right. I just want to be genuine. And genuine doesn't mean that you navel gaze or that you, you're masochistic. And it doesn't mean that you're falsely joyful. Right. I mean, right. when I'm a complete failure, the assurance of Christ still lifts me up. And when I have rocked it all week, the holiness of Christ still humbles me down yeah. and, and puts a lid on my uh, exuberance, so to speak. And so I just want to say thanks again, Pat, because I just feel that that has brought a lot more authenticity and realism mm. to our services. 
I don't have to manufacture the Holy Spirit. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I think just to piggyback on that real quick, I think the the intentionality, but also the um, that the that the lead pastor, the involvement, not just the intentionality that. As I said, Steve, oftentimes we sort of abdicate that role. And, and it, it's probably more stark for me because Steve's very, very musical. I'm not. I mean, I, 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 like, I love um, consuming music, but I'm not a producer of it. Uh, but I, that doesn't mean I can abdicate my responsibility that my leading and teaching the people, there's not pockets of that that I do and pockets that I don't. That, that's over everything. And, and certainly in the teaching ministry of the, of, of the church, that includes the music. It's not a separate thing as we've talked about. So as I plan the service and as we use the software that we use to sort of do that, I not only, you know, put up my sermon passage and my title, and I usually do that a year in advance and I put it out in the bulletin, you know, by quarters, this is what's coming. So our people know what the passage is, but also the title of the sermon. And then when I put the verses, I, I plug verses in for the different elements of the liturgy. Um, when I first did that, I thought, great, I'm, I'm hitting it at all cylinders. This is great. I'm doing, I'm doing great. But one of my many failures of leadership is that I do a lot of stuff in here, but I don't necessarily do a lot out here. And so uh, in talking to our music team leaders, they're trying to pick songs and do a liturgy, and I'm invested and involved, but they basically have the, the, the verses, but they don't know what I'm thinking and why I'm choosing them. Mm. And uh, I remember one time in particular, just going back in March, one of my music team leader guys came up to me and said, dude, I had no idea what that verse linked to anything. And he said, but then after we went through the liturgy and I read it, I was like, oh, okay, that's where you're going. But, but ahead of time, no idea. And I'm like, okay, another time where I got to, you know, admit my failings. And so what now I've taken to do is not just plug the stuff in the software every Monday morning, but to actually then reach out to the music team leader that will be taking those verses in that liturgy and, and putting more meat on the bones and then practicing with the team and whatnot. So here's what I'm thinking. Here's why I chose this call to worship, uh, you know, particular passage. Here's how it links to a call to worship and potentially even links then to my sermon. This is why I've chosen the things that I've, I've done. And I've noticed, I would say, even in the last month or two during this COVID that I've been doing even that extra step is that the, the set list, so to speak, for the, the worship band, even that's tighter. It, mm. it, it, even that more readily relates to the liturgy and to the overall sort of look and, and feel of things um, because now they know better where I'm sort of coming from, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I, I hope my music team leaders know that I'm not, we're not just being intentional, but also I'm invested uh, yeah. with them. And I think, as Steve said, oftentimes as lead pastors, we feel like, well, that's not my realm especially if we're not musical. And, right. I, and I would say that, that that's not true. I think, I think that we definitely need to be a part of that. So I, Pat, I know you've encouraged that as well, is that the lead guy has to be dialed in. Yeah. He can't be a spectator in this. Right. Yeah. We're called to be pastors, man. You, and it, and it, it amazes me that we think we can be pastors, but not pastor the music. And yes. I don't mean like dictate, like, you know, but be involved and your music mm. team has to feel that. Pat, you talked about practice too. Like I've really worked hard to make our practice time and at a time, almost like a small group, like it's a time to worship God together, even while we nitpick and timing and metronomes and pitches and keys and who's intros and outros and all that kind of stuff. But to worship God uh, has been, been huge. Uh, one other thing that I want to give you credit for, because you were saying about book resources, I would encourage everybody to get that worship source book. Um, if you want to understand liturgy and you're like, I'm new at this, 
that worship source book, and I think there's now two editions. Yeah, um, you can it. download it. It comes with a CD, but pastors and people of leadership, it will walk you through just a rich litany of, of, of uh, things you can choose from to form your service. So let me just encourage anybody that's out there going, well, drums, this all sounds good, but where do I even begin? For me, that was like the training wheels on the bike for me because it just helped kept me. I think where Jeff's at and I think where pastors can get to is you start forming your own liturgies as you're reading quotes, prayers, the book of common prayer. Guys, don't be afraid of it. It's a rich resource in the church history that we should be looking to. But that worship source book, Pat, was a gift for me that you gave to me. Yeah. And again, we're not here to necessarily pump up uh, Pat, though he's a great guy. But um, I will say um, Pat, Pat really has now shifted and his ministry is to churches uh, yeah. when, as it relates to music. Um, he took a big leap of faith uh, just uh, the latter part of last year. And so I would encourage anybody watching this uh, to reach out to Pat. That's patsabell.com. That's his website, P-A-T. S C Z E B E L dot com, patsabell.com. Um, he is willing to partner together with you uh, to uh, mentor and 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 teach and coach your music team, your leaders and members uh, to even come out uh, when we're allowed to do that again to your church to be on site with those music team leaders. Because again, we're we're the beauty of this conversation too is that Steve's very musical. When he says he's involved in the music, he's actually involved in the music. <laughs> I know a lot of guys may be watching and going, "Dude, I I I just don't know how to preach, and that's it. I don't know anything as it relates to music. Um, you know, I don't know an eighth note from a rest. Uh, you know, so where Pat comes along is he has the musical chops. He's not only a musician; he's also a composer, a songwriter. He's all of these things, but he also has the deep and rich theology. He is there as a ready resource for the church to help us as lead guys that don't know anything about music, except what they think, you know, they enjoy um, to say, okay, I can, I can know where I want to go, but how do I get there? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's where I think Pat comes along to say, okay, let me get you there to translate the goal, and, you know, and the desire that you have as the end goal and, and the steps to get there. And um, our church, I mean, we're just blessed. I think it's part of living in the Maritimes, but it, it seems like people just come out of the womb with the... <coughs> hands and ready to sing so we have lots of musicians a lot we've got three full music teams lots of leaders it, it's it's a really we're really blessed but how to coalesce all of that into the vision that you have for liturgy and for the gospel proclamation and so we started from a good place and again Stephen left a very good foundation uh, now i think we're moving to a great place and that's take nothing away from steve's prior ministry here just to say we have a good foundation, but if you're starting from a place where you're, you got one guy and a guitar or just, you've got the organ <laughs> or whatever you have, uh, it's not the musical instruments or the music, the, the, the individuals it's, it's how do you start constructing a liturgy that points people to the glory of God? Yeah. And I think that's where Pat comes in. So again, patsabell.com, check out his website. Mm. Uh, I think he's got a thing on Instagram that he's doing. Um, Pat's heart beats for, um, solid, full packaged uh, Sunday gatherings, the whole thing. Uh, so that, I think that's Thursdays at 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, which is midnight here on the East Coast, I think. <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, so thanks. Thanks so much, Pat. I, just been a huge blessing to, to Grace Baptist. Uh, I know to Calvary and, and other churches as well, brothers. So 
Thanks, Jeff. Let me, let me close us off with just a quote by Mike Cosper. Um, mm -hmm. He says, as we plan and order our services, discerning the content to include, listen to this, we shape the beliefs and devotional lives of our church members. It is a crazy pastoral opportunity if you think about it. When else do you have the opportunity to put words in people's mouth? And uh, that, that's a beautiful thing. And Brian Chapel, really short, he says, if gospel priorities do not determine worship choices, then people's preferences will tear the church apart. Yep, yep. Yeah. We, we want the gospel. And the beautiful thing about this liturgy, gospel-shaped liturgy, is you can have people in your church and say, well, I don't like that. I don't, this, I prefer this. I prefer mm. that. Mm. And you can say, we're preaching the gospel. <laughs> Every week, we're just preaching the gospel. We're going we're gonna to hammer this one nail every time we gather. Mm. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just put it into the hearts and lives of people. We're going to shape the devotional lives of our church. Mm. Love and, and adore and live the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, guys, look, can I pray? Absolutely. Yes, please. Pat, Pat, listen, I know, you know what, this is not about an infomercial for you, but obviously to give glory to God. But I just want to say with Jeff, like, you know, Romans 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. And, and you're not perfect, but your Savior is. But you are a gift to the Canadian church. And that's one thing I hope that people watch this. We tend to get all of our resources and we thank God for our, our, our cousins to the South. But I believe that God can call, uh, has gifted the church in Canada you're one of those gifts, and I just want to encourage every pastor, music person, deacon, elder, whatever, that you're out there and catch this, to reach out to Pat, not for Pat's sake, but because God equips his church, and I just think that God has gifted you, Pat. So uh, thank you for the way you've influenced me and Jeff, and thank you for, I know there's a lot of other people out there you've influenced. Um, yes, I'm musical, and Jeff's talked about that, but I also think you've influenced me to give away ministry to those. And so I'm thankful. I've got a young man in my church in the early twenties who's been greatly shaped by, you know, your influence and books you've already mentioned and stuff like that. So just let me encourage folks to, uh, to get and, and anything else. It doesn't hurt anybody to have a conversation with you. Right. Uh, right. Let, let me, let me just encourage people with that. But thanks again, Pat. Thanks Jeff too. It's always good to see my buddy. Uh, the beard looks ever more impressive. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Pat. Yeah, let me pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. And uh, I, I pray for uh, every lead pastor that could mm. be tuning in. I pray for uh, worship pastors. I pray for the little church out there that, that just has um, got a lot of lay people that are just mm. serving diligently and they love the church and they love to, to play music. I, I just pray for um, a, a growing desire to want to have the gospel proclaimed in every aspect of our gathering. And, and I, I remember the day when this started coming alive to me in my own soul. And um, I've now walked for 10 years and seen the benefit of spreading that banquet feast uh, for the people of God when we gather from the minute we gather till the conclusion of our service where we are sent with the gospel we've gathered to worship and now we scatter to worship and god just thank you for 
the, the effect, the, the results I've seen in my own heart and life by doing this. And mm-hmm. I pray that you would encourage your church across Canada, uh, that they would love the gospel, that they would make gospel priority, uh, the priorities so that people's preferences wouldn't tear the church mm-hmm. apart and other priorities rush in. God, we pray. And I pray you give us wisdom so that we would rightly help um, to um, strengthen the devotional lives and the beliefs of our people every time we gather. So thank you for this time. I pray that you would be honored, that you would be uh, glorified, and that your name would be exalted in the church, Mm. both now and forevermore. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Mm. Amen. Amen.